Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened and arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. Glass House for the next hour here on Triple R. The Glass House is presented each and every week on the stolen sovereign lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge the Rwandri people as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my deep respects to elders past and present, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today is my last Glasshouse show for 2020. Um, As you might have heard this morning, uh, a bunch of us are taking a break for the summer, but um, I'm sure you're going to have some incredible summer programming over the next few months. So I do hope you can stay with me for the next hour. Coming up on the show, I will be speaking with essayist, critic and poet Shuling Chuo about her debut essay collection called Echoes, which is out through some kind. It's a wonderful debut that explores lineage and memory and nostalgia and I'm very much looking forward to speaking with her. And later on in the show, I'll be joined by none other than Triple R's Mel Cranenberg. Uh, You will know her if you were just listening to the radio. She does present Backstory every week, um, as well as being an amazing writer, editor and podcaster in her own right. And we'll be having a chat to just reflect on this year and we'll be talking about some of our favourite words and books and podcasts that have stayed with us, that have moved us in the year of 2020. I hope that uh, wherever you are, you've got some sunshine on your face and that you're feeling good coming into summer. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Can one physically unknowingly inherit memories, knowledge, trauma, joy? Echoes is a new collection of essays from writer, critic and poet Shuling Chuo. The collection encompasses uh, lineage, memory and nostalgia and celebrates life through its small joys, fashion, pop songs and water. Today I am speaking with author Shuling Chuo. Uh, Shuling, welcome back to The Glass House and thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really um, looking forward to this chat. Uh, and thanks for playing What Y'all Need to Eye. <laughs> uh, such a pleasure. I was um, having a lot of fun listening to that soundtrack this morning, actually. Um, I'd love to start by, I suppose, talking about your journey to this kind of debut collection. Can you tell us a little bit about, yeah, your journey to this book? Um, yes. So I think in some sense this book has happened really um, slowly, but also really quickly. So I guess in terms of um, my journey... I first started trying to write a manuscript in 2014, 2015, but that wasn't quite the book I wanted to write. Um, and so uh, in terms of Echoes itself, uh, the three essays in the book, it was sparked by uh, one, an old photo of my grandmother, and two, the Crazy Rich Asian soundtrack. And the idea for the book first came to me two years ago, but it wasn't until, I guess, earlier this year that I actually sat down to write those stories and to talk to my mum about my um, my grandmother and to learn more about the history behind the Crazy Rich Asian soundtrack. Um, and I was approached by some kind press in early July this year and, and asked if I was interested in putting together an essay collection. And from there, uh, I submitted a manuscript in September and uh, work to come have fun was amazing, and then it went to design work in October, and it was printed in November. So it all mechanically happened quickly, but the ideas itself took a few years to come together. Mm. Uh, such a silver lining to um, what has been such a wild year for so many people. Um, yeah. Shilling, I think this is something we chatted about a few years ago, but kind of, I suppose, being an emerging writer, kind of being in the first maybe five six years of your writing career, if I um, am not mistaken, and kind of going from Mm -hmm. the shift of perhaps writing through um, a lot of pain and trauma that I think a lot of um, emerging writers kind of um, try to write through at the beginning. And then I suppose for me, like this collection kind of feels like almost like the coming through of that, just in comparison to some of the, of your earlier work that I've read. Does that, is that something that feels true for you? Oh yes, definitely. Um, I, this book, Echoes, is definitely written with um, much love and joy, which is very quite, I guess, different. I guess the reason for that is I think the, the questions I'm grappling with now are quite different to what they were in my early 20s. In my early 20s, I did have a lot of questions around sex and identity and trauma, and so that shaped, obviously, my work because that was those were the questions I was dealing with then. And then as I moved through my mid-20s and got to my late-20s, the questions started to change. Like, I didn't, like, I had sort of felt like I had to find the next phase for who I was as a writer, and that took a couple of years to work out because, um, yeah, I guess the questions had changed, but I had to sort of work my way really slowly to learn how to write about happiness because I guess that wasn't a natural 
thing I had been doing. So I guess, um, yeah, it, it's definitely something I've been reflecting on. Um, and I don't know, I guess often many, many beginning writers do sort of maybe start out writing about <laughs> trauma because, I don't know, there's the pressure to or because that's the question they're grappling with. But, yeah, now the questions I'm interested in are quite different. Mm. I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the form and, and the way that you've written this book. Um, you know, you've kind of woven together um, a little bit of, you know, like experimental work. It's kind of, it's fragmented in in these really beautiful and interesting ways. You've kind of used visual elements. It's quite poetic. Um, and there's also, you know, a little bit of that literary criticism, which I know that you do. Can you tell me, I suppose, a little bit about uh, the way that you chose to write this book and, um, yeah, and, and, and what it means to you? Yeah, so I think the fragmented, uh, my brother actually read my book a couple of days ago and he kind of commented on how it was, uh, this, particularly the last essay, I think, To Fish for um, the Moon is a little bit disjointed. I think the fragmented nature is, um, like, I really love poetry um, and many of my favourite essayists are also poets. And so I think that does inform um sort of the tone and the lyrical style of the essays. I think the other really critical thing um, that I was, I think hope is reflected in the book is that sense of unknowingness and the gaps mm. in one's family history because there is so much I will never know about my great-great-grandmother or even my grandmother or my mother. Like, there's just so much I will never know about their lives. And so I guess that's kind of reflected in the fragmented um, structure and I think also another really big element of the book is the language and how um, Cantonese is my mother tongue. But once I started school, I um, I guess I lost a lot of that language. So there is there are many un, untranslated um, song lyrics in the book, and that's deliberate to give the reader that sense of not knowing and not being able to understand everything. Mm. Um, so yeah, I do. I, I find gaps really interesting because I, I kind of hope the reader can see themselves in the book but also kind of insert their own story in as well. Absolutely. And I, I really love that kind of, uh, yeah, there's like small vignettes and that way of writing because it does feel really kind of authentic to the way that we think. Um, and I don't know, for me, the way that I think about my family and kind of all the things that kind of come into play when, you know, you, you, this book is obviously uh, a lot of it, there's, you know, uh, influences from your mum and your grandmother. Um, mm-hmm. I'd, I suppose I'd love to talk about that, uh, you know, even just from like the opening uh, the opening essay where you are looking um, at, at that picture and you're kind of, uh, you're talking about it, and in in some way that is almost like translating that time and space through your own um, through your own eyes, and talking to your mum about it, and kind of recontextualizing um, that picture of your, I believe it was your maternal grandmother. Yeah. Um, I suppose can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, that idea of um, I, I suppose time and and family, and trying to kind of. Uh, extract the uh, you know ideas around inheritance and you know this particular first essay is very much around beauty and fashion and kind of what we um, what we take and what we don't take and you know there's even in the unspoken ways of you know looking at the picture and looking at the the fashion uh, can you speak about that a little bit? Um, sure. So I think like that 
sort of essays are very much informed by conversations with my mum. And when you are obviously having conversations, you don't get all of the information at once. Like you don't sit down with your mum, you know, over two hours and like get all the information at once. Like often it's slowly um, you pick up little bits of information here and there over the years and then they slowly start to build a picture about a person. So with my, um, my my maternal grandmother, she lives in Malaysia, so we don't have a close physical relationship. We don't really have, um, and also I guess there's the language barrier as well, like her first language is not English and my first language is not Cantonese. So um, uh, the question was related to the photo, was it? Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, the conversations kind of all took place over many years and I guess maybe in more recently I had more targeted questions, I guess, because I had um, this essay was kind of taking shape. So um, I had more specific questions I could ask my mum. But in terms of fashion, um, yeah, my, my great-grandmother, sorry, not my great-grandmother, my, my grandmother, she was a very glamorous person and I guess, yeah, that didn't quite gel with my picture of her because I've always known her as my grandmother. I've never known her as a young woman. And that really was something I find, like, I really wanted to know what her life was as a young woman. And I can't ask my grandmother many questions directly and I have to ask them through my mum. And so, yeah, it's in some sense my mum is almost acting as an interpreter between mm-hmm. the both of us, like connecting us language-wise but also connecting us, like, story-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved uh, I loved reading about that kind of as you said translation not only through the retelling of stories through uh, you know perhaps your mum but also because of the you know that language uh, the language barrier you know there is that combination of uh, there's Cantonese and Mandarin throughout the book um, and even just the ways that in which you were learning language through um, you know particular songs um, yeah I just really loved that. Yeah. Yeah, it was really funny learning how to sing um, Cantonese songs. And I was like, I really want to go to karaoke, but I can't. <laughs> um, can, I suppose, can you tell me a little bit more about um, those ideas of translations? Uh, and yeah, as particularly I think during in that second essay where you are talking a lot about um, learning language through um, through song, and it was almost it almost felt like a, yeah that the music was a connecting point between uh, you, you know your your parents, but also your your grandparents. Yes, um, so I guess songs are super nostalgic. Like the songs you grow up listening to, um, often, you know, the songs that your grandparents or your parents are playing in the background, um, especially if you're a child um, with a diaspora background. Like (laughs) my parents used to play a lot of canto pop growing up. Um, And so translation is something I've always personally been interested in. Like I at one point wanted to become a translator, um, but that dream didn't eventuate. So that, um, yeah, so I I think that interest in language has always been with me. But I guess with pop songs, the lyrics are often quite, um, in some ways, simple because they have to be catchy and easy to remember. But then in other ways, they're really poetic. So I am very conscious that when I approach these songs, there's going to be cultural context and historical context that I won't necessarily understand. Like I might be able to translate the words through a dictionary, but I may not be able to understand everything. Like I think the, um, 
it's not the translation is not just about switching one word to another. Like there's just so much history and culture mm. um, that comes with a certain phrase that a dictionary is not going to be able to tell you. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved all of those sections where you were, I suppose, trying to translate certain things and just and, and getting some help. Um, and yeah, just trying to get that specificity of meaning through that kind of historical context, um, I imagine would be yeah incredibly difficult to, yeah, to try to get that that meaning conveyed in the in the right way uh, there's this line in it which I feel like kind of sums up what you're talking about um, you know there is a river linguistic cultural and historical I cannot cross um, not yearning for past but creating new memories um, which I think is yeah it's really beautiful uh, if you have just joined us uh, we are chatting to Shu Ling Chuo all about her debut essay collection Echoes. Uh, Shu Ling I'd love to talk a little bit about um the I suppose the time that you've created in this um, in these in these essays, you know, there's a real sense of movement coming from, you know, looking back um, to your uh, your mother, your grandmother, and then also looking forward to perhaps what you um, you you know you'll leave behind. Um, and I think it really kind of yeah it, it comes into play in that last essay, which uh, you know uses water as this um, beautiful kind of motif of of movement and and, and different ways that we relate to it um, during our our lives. Can you talk to us, I suppose, a little bit about that idea of water and, and why that was a an important way for you to convey those ideas? Yeah. Um, so the water, the final essay initially started off as an essay about, I guess, housework and uh, my guilt around not doing enough housework. And I was also really interested in washing machines and sort of, because I find the sound they make really soothing. Um, and then I kind of realized or learned from my mom a couple of years back that my grandmother grew up in a, a laundry business. Like that was the business her, her parents ran, so it's my great-grandparents. Um, so that was a connection there. Um, but in, I'm really glad that you picked up that sort of looking towards the future because I think I am, I'm not planning to become a mother. So I, I am very conscious that in the process of me learning all of this about my family, I won't necessarily have someone to pass this knowledge or information down to. And so in some sense, the last essay is looking at the deeper theme is around motherhood and um, I guess... Yeah, it, it's indirectly, I guess, mm. looking at those questions, which is a really huge question and it's something I'm still thinking through. But I guess water, um, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of, I just love the sound of swishing water and moving water and I guess it really is deeply bound up in many people's journeys to mm. Australia, like uh, over the seas. Like, um, so... Um, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with that, but no, yeah, it, it, yeah. I I think it's um it's a really beautiful uh yeah kind of symbolism for that, and and I was really interested when you kind of spoke about that um, underlying um, sense of questioning motherhood. You know, there's that line. I just I've highlighted so many lines in your book, but um, in, in opting out of motherhood, am I living a beginning and ending or both? Um, which, yeah, is such a huge question and I just love the way that you kind of explore that through, yeah, through looking at water. Um, Shuling, I'd love to talk a little bit about, I suppose, the research that went into this book. It's no, um, it's no surprise that this year has been a, an extra, 
ordinary year for many people. Um, you kind of write in the book that, you know, you went to Hong Kong for a literary festival at some at, at a certain point and also you kind of just referenced Googling. And I just wanted to know um, when putting this together, you, kind of what that looked like and, you know, and if the constraints of this year um, had a big impact on, on the way that it was actually, it actually came together. Um, yes, yeah, definitely. I think... Uh Technology, like there's a lot of references to YouTube in the book because um, that was my way of accessing these old Chinese pop songs. And also, interestingly, a lot of um, film clips, so a lot of the songs that I reference in Echoes are actually film songs. So they are, I guess they played in the song, sorry, they played, these songs played in the film and were sort of, in, I guess, a marketing tool. So long after the films were forgotten, mm-hmm. the songs lived on. And in some sense, sometimes, they became disconnected from the film, um, like as in the songs develop a life of their own. Uh, and so, yes, technology was super helpful in researching. And it's such a weird disconnect because you have these really old songs that you're accessing through this really new technology. Um, and I think had there been no COVID-19 this year, I, I, I had planned on going to China, I think, at some point this year um, to, I guess, travel and maybe to like do a writing residency and early this year that very quickly became you know not possible so um I guess I had to yeah do a lot of the research online and I guess through conversations with my mum and yeah I guess the book kind of took its shape Mm. through that process and I guess a really important book that um I came across that really helped inform this was called Sounding the Modern Woman by Jean Ma, which talked a lot about the the, the image of the songstress in um, Chinese film. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much, as you said, of this book seems like conversations with, um, yeah, your family and particularly your mother. And I'd just love to know uh, if she's read it and, and what that experience has been like for your family to have this uh, this collection, which in, in many ways is kind of like a recording of, of certain parts of your family history? Um, yes, yeah, so my mum has read the manuscript. She's not read the, the real book yet. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, hmm, I try to think what was her reaction. Like, I think she's definitely proud of me. Like, she's really... Um, We've been visiting a lot of bookshops lately to try and see if they'd be interested in stocking echoes. And oh, and the other thing is we celebrated with a little photo shoot at um, the Victorian State Rose Garden. Yes, so I guess the beautiful dress. (laughs) Yes, the book which the dress is just referenced in the book as well. Um, uh, I guess because the conversations we've like it seems a bit meta, like to you know, I guess for her to reflect on the conversations we've had, like. It just, I think she's kind of really happy that the book's been put together and she's um, keen to share copies with my aunt and my uncle. Um, but we've not had a deep conversation about the book yet. <laughs> um, well, I look forward to hearing more about what your mum thinks. Um, Shuling, you are going to be launching this collection um, online with an online launch, which feels very fitting for this year. Um, it is happening on... Uh, Wednesday, the 16th of December, it's going to be launched um, by none other than the wonderful Alice Pung. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about, I suppose, celebrating celebrating this book with, um, yeah, with your fellow readers? Um, yes, I'm really excited for the launch. Um, I, 
Oh, I'm just really hoping all the technology holds up because, um, yeah, that's just, I, I, um, I'm sure it will, but I think the wonderful thing about having the launch online is that, yeah, friends in Sydney um, and Brisbane or across Australia, possibly even overseas, can, um, I don't know, join and take part. Uh, I, I think... Every stage of this book coming to data has not, it, like, it just doesn't seem quite real yet. Like, even though I have the book in my hand and I know I'm launching in two weeks, like, it still doesn't quite feel real. Mm-hmm. But I'm so, yeah, excited and grateful that Alice will be um, launching Echoes. Um, yeah, she's a really dear to me, so I'm really excited for that. Well, it sounds like it's going to be an amazing night. Um, Shuling, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been wonderful to chat to you. Thanks so much, Beth. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. I'm very excited for my last show to celebrate it with none other than the wonderful Mel Cranenberg from Backstory. You might know her from listening from 12 to 1 each Wednesday, but you also might know her from just being a wonderful writer, editor, podcaster, uh, just, you know, wonderful radio neighbour. Welcome. It's nice to be uh, on the mic with you. Do we want to talk about how I've just managed to nearly destroy the studio on my first ever time face-to-face with another human being in months? I thought I did a really good job of covering it up, but yes, it's here. We haven't broken the studio. Everything's fine. We're oh, fine. You're welcome, everyone. Enjoy. It's going to be great. So I wanted to get you on because, you know, I just love to talk about this year, what's come out, what we've loved, what's kind of stayed with us. But I suppose to start, I, you know, we obviously both do a lot of reading for our programs. Um, but I suppose aside from our shows, you know, you're quite an avid reader, listener, consumer of everything. Um, I'd love to know, I suppose, looking back on this year, what your, you know, consuming habits were, what your reading habits were like. Was it different for you? Okay, so <laughs> so this subject is a good one because I actually just, um, I was one of the judges of the Small Press Network's inaugural Book of the Year Award. It replaces the uh, Most Underrated Book Award. And it had, I think we had something like 130 entries to read. Uh, so I have been doing a lot of that reading. Wow. <laughs> um, as well as my weekly reading for the show. There was a small amount of overlap, obviously, because, uh, well, those of you who don't know, the Small Press Network is a collection of, of local publishers, independent publishers that have, have formed this network. And so it's a real, you know, uh, grab bag of incredible talent that is published by small presses and just really shows what they can do. Uh, And obviously it ranges from the kind of bigger small presses through to those that really are, you know, either younger, newer or still kind of emerging in terms of their content. But it's just outrageously good, the output. It made me both, well, let's just say I was very overwhelmed (laughs) by the volume. (laughs) But, you know, that aside, I was enjoyably overwhelmed by the volume as well, Um, just thinking about the kinds of things that that actually are being published now, um, the voices that are being published, the people that are being published and how much more depth uh, of field there is in Australian literature than there has ever been. Uh, it's really wonderful. 
I do have to say that that's probably the best part about, um, you know, judging any prize or whatever is just that, you know, you, you get that chance to really reflect on the amazing stuff that kind of comes out of this country. Um, I was a judge for the Australian Podcast Awards, so I've got a, just for one of the categories, so I've got a few podcasts that I had a good chance to think about as well. But yeah, I do have to say that it is a really nice opportunity because, you know, when we're both making our own stuff as well outside of doing radio, it is um, just a nice opportunity to actually just listen or read what else has been going on when we're busy doing whatever it is that we're doing. Um, so you've got you've got a pick. I was like really <laughs> impressed. I said fave books, you know, just so that to give you a little bit of leeway because I got a I got a bloody list. <laughs> well, this is um, this book is actually um, it's an amazing thing that I want to talk about because I I should firstly say I did mention the Small Press Network's Book of the Year prize and I do really want to uh, encourage people to read all of the books that we've shortlisted. You can find them on. Um, the Small Press Network's website. Uh, they're all fantastic books and I really want to commend the authors and I'll read them out um, in a little bit. But, but Beth, I somehow managed to do some reading that was just for me reading. Can you imagine that? That wasn't like for the show or for review or for a book prize. And this was because my wonderful friend Joe Case uh, sent me uh, a couple of books that she thought I would love for my birthday and she knows me so well uh, and she was absolutely right and this book is Natasha Trithui's Memorial Drive, A Daughter's Memoir and Natasha is, uh, you know, a poet of some note. I believe she has been the Poet Laureate in the US perhaps twice and this book is a story about her childhood, about growing up uh, mixed race in America, uh, in the South, um, but it's also about her mother and her mother's death um, at the hands of her partner. It is devastating. It is beautifully written uh, and, you know, written in, with this sparsity of, of language use as well that makes it all the more affecting. Um, it, I found it incredibly moving. Uh, it spoke to me on a lot of levels and of course it was devastatingly heartbreaking. I can't I can't commend this book enough. Also, I can't commend enough the opportunity to be able to just read for yourself, just to read for no end except for your own enjoyment or need to, to find something. Um, I have been reading a lot of works where I can or just trying to you know, pick into them in between things that I'm supposed to be reading that really do touch on on themes of, of mixed cultural identities, particularly. It's something that I'm, I'm writing about at the moment. I have a mixed race background myself. Um, so I'm really, I found um, so much richness in, in that, um, you know, that opportunity to read mm. for, for your own enjoyment. Mm. I also just want to commend your friend for getting you book yeah. that you hadn't read. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Thank you. People don't. She actually, I think she even said people think. I, and no, she remembered something I'd said where people think that I don't want to get more books because my house is literally overflowing with them, and I do get so many of them, and I feel you know slightly overwhelmed at times by that. I've said overwhelmed a lot. <laughs> I'm aware. Um, I mean, that's, that's the year. That's I okay. love getting given books as gifts, particularly by friends who who kind of know what my reading interests are and I feel weirdly and I don't Beth you might have a, a similar kind of experience and that is I read all the time and yet I feel bizarrely badly read 
because I, I read very narrow cast. I read books that were written in the last year by Australian authors, often fiction. And uh, the way they've divided up the shows here, we often will try to um, make sure that that you know, many different types of books are covered and I quite often will get people who are established authors mid-career to late career. Mm. And so I do feel like I've got, you know, people talk about literary, like, trivia kind of questions and I'm like, is it Australian literature from the last year by, you know, mid to late career authors from Australia? Because I could, I'll probably kill it. If it is, otherwise I'm screwed. Well, I mean, you know, in a similar vein, I feel like I read a lot of, uh, you know, first works, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, I just chatted to the wonderful Shuling about her debut essay collection or whether it's, um, you know, the first podcast that people have made or whatever it is. So, yeah, I definitely, that, you know, that dictates my um, consuming habits um, in, in a large part for the show. But also it's just, you know, I'm very interested in it. Um, I'd love to just briefly mention um, also in the wonderful Arige from the rap um, onto have a chin wag about this and she couldn't make it on but she did want to say her pick for this year which um, is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett um, and also I believe somebody that Arige got a chance to interview this year which was um, you know like all Arige's interviews magnificent I haven't actually read it but it's on my to be read pile as is a bunch of other stuff um one of uh, maybe I'll just say a couple of my favorite picks for this year, which can I just say was very hard when you walked in with one book. I was like, I don't know, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> so mean. Sorry, I, just, I don't only have one book, Beth, though. You know, I know that. it's a lot, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, something that I, I think I've been thinking about, and it's also the thing of just like what's kind of resonated. You know, I read uh, Firefront by, um, was edited by Alison Whitaker earlier this year. Um, it was something that I covered on the show and, uh, you know, a big fan of Alison's work, have been for a long time, but I just really love uh, the way that that collection and anthology was put together. It's got uh, you know, works from, uh, you know, amazing First Nations authors who you would know, like Bruce Pascoe, Ali Cobby Eckerman, but just really interesting, um, interesting writing, writing that's kind of stayed with me. And also, I just love the, uh, the symbolism of fire. And it just has never felt more relevant to be thinking about uh, the, the climate crisis. And through the lens of poetry, I just found incredibly stimulating and also very confronting, um, but in a, yeah, in a really great way. So if you're looking for, I don't know, Christmas presents. I Yeah, Firefront, I highly recommend reading it. It's amazing. It's out through um, QUP. I feel like I should mention one of the books that's on the, the shortlist. <clears throat> and I, I do want to say I'm not, I'm not indicating anything by this in terms of who the winner is, but I wanted to mention this because of the connection that I felt it had with the Natasha Trithui book, Memorial Drive, which is uh, Nangana Jungu Yagu by pa- uh, Charmaine Paper Talk Green. It's mm-hmm. a, I guess, a poetry, a work of poetry um, by this extraordinary author out through Cordite Books, which is just killing it with this book. Um, it was inspired by her mother's letters. Um, and I, I think, she, you know, it's just uh, an extraordinary, um, it made me, you know, cry. It made me uh, feel um, the the sort of warmth and connection and understanding. Um, it uses language. It talks of culture, but this very uh, real um, 
voice that's coming through through her mother's letters is just so haunting. Mm. Um, it's a really beautiful uh, collection, uh, a really beautiful work, um, poetry cycle, I guess you might want to call it. Uh, I, you know, I don't read enough poetry. Um, I, I want to read more now, particularly by writers like um, Charmaine Paper Talk Green, who is extraordinary, and I can't recommend that highly enough. Uh, definitely look at the others on, on that shortlist as well, which are all excellent and all could win. <laughs> um, it's just uh, I really did feel like it spoke to – it was sort of a really interesting work to read again, that that relationship between mother and daughter um, with that sort of feeling of, um, you know, that real sort of sense of connection and, and loss and gain and culture. Um, it, it really those, – those two books particularly have spoken to me. Hmm. I loved reading it. I also was lucky enough to have Charmaine on the show. I can't remember it was – I don't even remember if it was this year or last year when it was – I'm sure it was released this year. Was it this year? Yes. Yeah, um, which was – yeah, she's absolutely incredible and, yeah, I would highly recommend that as well. Um, I did want to mention some podcasts. I know that um, – <laughs> I don't know, sometimes they're like a podcast literary and I say, yes, they are uh, because it involves a lot of um, putting together of ideas and, um, you know, editing I think is a form of writing. As, as well. But something that I did want to give a nod to is uh, the Bird's Eye View podcast, which um, was a podcast that is created up in the NT um, with the women uh, in Sector 4 of the Darwin Correctional Centre. Um, and it's a it's a work that is has been created over two years of close collaboration between uh, the producers and uh, over seventy incarcerated women. And it's it's a ten part series, but it's just it's really amazing how you get, I suppose, this like firsthand uh, reporting of what it's like to actually be inside. What what are those conditions like? Um, and there's just this real uh, joy in it as well. And, you know, also just learning about their beauty regimes and, you know, things that I just, I have no idea about and that were very eye-opening for me. Uh, I just feel like it's a really um, beautifully tender and raw and also just a timely podcast to really showcase um, that perspective of what what it's like to be a woman in prison in this country. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really beautifully done. And I, and I also just, I'm a really big fan of what I, what I hope and what I feel like is becoming more of a trend in, um, in audio production, which is this a collaboration and just acknowledging of, you know, I suppose traditional journalism very much sees that relationship between interviewer and subject. Um, and I've just, I hate, I hate that. And I think that there's so, so much wrong with that. And, and I think from what I know of it, projects like this and you know there are so many other projects that are doing this that are really working with people to uh, if they don't have the skills to be able to to work in audio to be able to craft their stories then you can teach people you can build people's capacity so that they can have that autonomy over how their story is communicated to the world um, yeah I have a real passion I, I have um, actually since I worked at the big issue we you know really focused on um, own voices journalism there but just I am in love with the audio form very obviously and um, to have you know these perspectives the fact that it is such a podcasting particularly is a medium that almost anyone can pick up I mean you could do a podcast on your phone really just using that audio the quality is so good these days it's a really democratic medium in that respect and I'm just freaking loving uh, hearing um, 
those kinds of perspectives, new perspectives, voices that that never would have gotten kind of a broadcast uh, slot coming into my ears. And I love nothing more than being told a story than someone's voice, than different voices, like getting the timber of that, getting a sense of them, um, you know, letting them kind of wind me down the path the way they take it, listening to vocal idiosyncrasies. These kinds of things are elements of storytelling that are so compelling and, uh, and you know, are reinventing an old form. You know, mm. oral storytelling is the oldest storytelling form in this place, in this country, of course, older than any uh, continuously. You know, we really have this, this strong, um, you know, human impulse towards telling stories and listening to stories and um, negating the medium of, of having that written word between you, even if there is, like even if the sleight of hand hides things like scripts and stuff like that, you're still getting that feeling that you get, um, which is primal, I mm. think. It's really, it's fundamental. Yeah, your voice is like your fingerprint. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I, that does remind me I'm also loving seeing the collaboration in form so like for I suppose talking about audio storytelling at this I think it was the start of this year uh, amazing producer and no stranger to triple R Camilla Hannan did a really incredible uh, series with Radio National um, all fictional stories and teamed up with a bunch of local writers that um, anyone that listens to our shows will probably be familiar with like Tony Birch and just kind of recreating these fictional stories for the audio format which I think is really exciting to see and you know not that it's necessarily groundbreaking and new but it's really exciting to see that this is happening more um, and I just yeah it makes me kind of hopeful for like the next couple of years of audio storytelling culture in, in this country because I think that people are listening more and becoming more interested in it and you know more and more people are making it which is really great. We all just need to listen more <laughs> Beth. That's all. Just keep listening. Um, all right. Before I let you go, is there any others that you wanted to give a shout out to? <laughs> look, just look at that. I did all the reading for you. Go and look at the list. These are all by, you know, the small um, press networks, um, Book of the Year Award, huge plug. Um, I am plugging Australian publishing, independent publishing, wonderful voices, First Nations authors, independent um, voices and writers that you're getting um, through these incredible presses that are working, you know, tirelessly with small staffs to get out fucking killer books. Just go and support the hell out of them. That's all I have to say. One final thing that I wanted to give a shout out to was something uh, something that I read this year that I felt really articulated the experience and the specificity, like the weird specificity of this year, um, which is a work by Rachel Ang, who's an incredible comics artist. Um, and she uh, illustrated and, and did, uh, did a comic, wow, I can't talk, uh, of this, uh, just essentially of what it feels like, um, you know, what is home. It's called Yellow in the Blue by Rachel Ang. Um, and it's on um, Mav. .org.au and it's just a really you know it's just one of those things I I don't work in the visual medium but when I when I look at it and when I read it it talks about you know the the collapsing of the way that we use spaces in the home our changing relationship to the home because it's you know the place where you're you know sleeping at work working at where you sleep it just kind of goes into all of this collapsing of time and this like honey-like nature of 2020 and it's just captured in just the most striking way that I I just 
it just felt good to read, you know, one of those things where mm. it feels good to read because you're like, yes, this is really clearly kind of articulating what for me feels just like a mushy brain <laughs> and you're just doing it in such an amazing way. So, yeah, definitely recommend checking that out. It kind of sounds like synesthesia in a way. <laughs> I love it. It's, yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, Mel, as always, it is such a joy to share the mic with you. Um, oh and God. congrats on an ama- another amazing year of radio. Um, it's wonderful being your radio neighbour. It really is. Thank you so much, Beth. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website, 